Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Harold Hay. This was recorded probably two years ago at this point. Corey and I went on a very long vacation. We're tanned, we're rested, and we're ready. And so I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Harold Hay. It's Corey Vaughn with Adam Samaha. Uh, and today we're talking about Harold the Butcher, written by Joseph Purdy, directed by Stark Howell and Larry Lightlighter. Um, guys, get your tissues ready. This is a very good episode. Actually, turn on it Hulu Plus and watch it. It's worth it. We recommend it. Yeah, it's one of our favorites. It's good. Um, it, it has the Harold Hay seal of approval. Seal of approval. Craig, that's right. You did it. You really, you really pulled through for us. This is a good one. Thank you. Craig. Um, we, it, it's like equal parts, um, sentimental, funny, and uh, uh, like socialist. <laughs> yeah, and deeply, nicely philosophical. Yeah, it's like, it's great. And um, we talk about uh, yeah, like the labor force and blue collar work, and we talk about hipsterization of 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 craft uh about labor yeah satisfaction and also um trigger warning yeah uh, this is a real meaty episode and we don't both literally and mean, figurative yeah we don't mean the normal like heady intellectual shit we're always flinging around this is like truly just about meat yeah we talk about meat no but it's not just about me it's not just about fulfilling your meat hunger it's also about a more a, a more general hunger and, and a lust for life and yeah, seeking a fulfillment in your work. Yeah, so we do talk about meat, not enough to where we feel bad about it, but enough to where we thought we should bring it up as a trigger warning. Yeah, your arteries will be fine, but your arteries, oh, maybe not. That's true. All right, well, listen to it, uh, rate and review us, email us. Yeah, keep sending us a bunch of money like you have been. Yeah, thanks for always doing that. Yeah, we're yeah. All right, I gotta go grow a mustache. All right, bye. Bye. This is our short summary for Harold the Butcher. Arnold, Harold, and Sid are walking down the street in front of Mr. Green's butcher shop. Arnold wants to be an archaeologist when he grows up. Harold, as soon as he sees that meat, he's hungry. That's what he wants to be. So he goes in, uh, shoots the shit with Mr. Green, and then while Mr. Green is plucking a chicken, Harold steals the ham, runs out, sticks it under his shirt, and when Mr. Green comes to ask him about it, the ham slips out like a... What does it slip out like? Like soap. Yep, like soap. soap. Harold's like, I didn't do nothing. Except when Mr. Green sees the meat, he instantly starts yelling at Harold, who cries, I just want my mommy. And Mr. Green says, I'm going to have to call his mommy, which is what happens. And his parents, worried about Harold turning to a life of crime, decide to send him to the rabbi, who, in turn, sends him back to Mr. Green after telling a sappy story about a tailor and a friend who stole a suit. Uh, and guess what? Harold now has to work off his debt to society by working for Mr. Green. Uh, basically, as his apprentice. So he sweeps up, packages meat, um, takes boxes here and there. Uh, and at first, Harold hates it. He hates working for the, for the man. He's just still hungry. 
But eventually he starts learning some things, some secrets about meat fillers, uh, different types of brisket. He starts flirting with the lunch lady, talking about too much soy sauce uh, in the meats. Uh, And the viewer starts noticing that Harold actually likes what he's doing. And he starts asking Mr. Green questions like, why would you pound meat? What's the difference between a butt steak and a rump roast? Uh, And this leads to uh, the height of Harold's experience, which is him literally dreaming about owning a meat shop and selling meat to adoring fans. And as he wakes up the next morning to help open the shop, he, in his sweet joy for butchering, uh, kind of literally experiences his dream, sweeps up, um, takes stuff to and from the freezer, uh, all without Mr. Green even being there. Then Mr. Green shows up and says, your week is done. Get out of here. The fact is this entire week, Mr. Green has been pretty annoyed of Harold, even as Harold has started to get closer to, um, the life of a butcher. Uh, so Harold asks, can I be your, your, your official apprentice? Mr. Green laughs him off. Harold leaves dejected tries to decide what he's going to do. Uh, and what he ends up doing is stealing a turkey right in front of Mr. Green's eyes in hopes that maybe he could go back and work for another week. Uh, Mr. Green says no. Uh, and then it cuts to the busiest day of the year for Mr. Green, the annual meat sale. The line is out the door. People are yelling. Meat is flinging everywhere. Uh, and Arnold happens to come by to get meat for his grandma and he sees Mr. Green is really struggling. So he behind the back of Mr. Green brings Harold and makes a suggestion. How about you have Harold help? Reluctantly, Mr. Green agrees. Uh, and it ends with him actually, um, respecting and giving words of affirmation to, uh, the young butcher Harold, uh, and eventually gives him an official apprenticeship every Monday after school, which uh, ends the already hopeful episode on a really, really positive note. Um, And there are a lot of really funny details that I'm uh, excited to talk about. Um, But yeah, that's the summary of Harold the Butcher. Fantastic job. Thank you. Um, This is... The second episode in the premiere of season three, at least according to Hulu, and both episodes are very well written, very well paced. Um, There are moments in both episodes where Adam and I are watching them laughing out loud. So I guess not to, you know, spoiler alert, this is a really good episode. And I think it's gonna be really fun to talk about because um, it has kind of equal parts humor writing and character development. And it has some pretty interesting social critique, I think as well about education, about work, about crime. Um, I guess I'm kind of giving away a lot, but what, um, what, what are, let's talk about maybe some moments that we can listen to um, in the episode that stand out. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's, so I think at the, there's an, um, at the interaction with, um, the t- the two parents. Yeah, uh, I think is really telling, and I think it's sort of like 
sort of pushes the narrative along and it also kind of encapsulates and sort of works as like a thesis a bit for the episode, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. It. Uh, he talks, well, we'll listen to it and then we'll jump back in. And did you know, Ma, that you can get tri-tip for about the same price as this brisket, but you don't have to marinate it? Three days in a butcher shop and already he's an expert. The point is, he's not a criminal, Marilyn. Jerry! I'm just saying, I think maybe he's found his true calling. So as you can hear, uh, Harold has kind of found a new love for meat. Uh, it's only been a couple days. And uh, it starts with this like great encouragement from his mom. Like, can you believe that he's already this connected to his new career? And it it is highlighted, though, with his dad saying, and he's not a criminal. Um, which compares to uh, an earlier interaction with his parents, which um, is his dad, like that's all he's worried about. It's not really about whether it was wrong or right. He just doesn't want his son to be in a chain chain gang and in jail on death row, all that. Um, so the scene is showing both the positive and the negative perspective, I think of, of like re rehabilitation. Totally. And I think there's like an, a really nice analog to sort of like the, um, our justice system or yeah. justice system as yeah. they say. And I think what, what is the, the, the correlation I think is apt because it, I think kind of the critique that people have about our, the criminal justice system is that it almost seems like it's in bad faith. Like it's not like, it's not truly re- to rehabilitate people. Mm. It's like basically just to like serve as some sort of like really base level justice. Like you did a bad thing, yeah, therefore you must yeah. be sent away for a while to sort of think about it, you know. And the sort of rehabilitation part is is often sort of over, like not um, emphasized. Right, right. And I think in in this you kind of get both of that. Like yes, his yes. mom, I think, likes to see her son like progressing and sort of yeah. finding out who he is. But then you realize the dad, like the whole time, kind of wanted him just to learn a lesson and like yep, to yep. not end up on the streets being a criminal. Yep. And so it's. It, it, it's it's kind of funny because it shows I think that it's slightly more dynamic in this situation than I think sadly often um, uh, like the penal system is right right in the United States uh, but I do think it does highlight the fact that like it, it, it for for at least half of the people that are involved the parents that it was sort of like just a way for him to sort of learn a lesson yeah and it wasn't yep. necessarily for him to find himself and find a career and I think it I think it's interesting that there also is a lesson to be learned through the rabbi's relationship with him, um, which is very common, not just for religious, um, like for religious communities, but also for, um, I think Jewish cultural touchstones is that like the elder wise, um, Jewish, maybe relative or rabbi or whatever it is, tells kind of a long drawn out story usually about a tailor, if we're honest. Um, but, and I say that cause I think of like, you know, the, uh, the longstanding popularity of, um, fiddle on the roof, uh, and how there are so many stories just within that narrative about, um, model the tailor and, uh, whether he is worthy or not. So I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how purposeful that was, but I, that's automatically what I think of. Um, but I like that there's a, kind of a long drawn out story that the point really is the person in the story learned the value of hard work. Um, and, 
So I think the rabbi is a little more in touch with what the lesson is actually saying. Whereas Harold's dad is just sort of like, it's time for you to learn a lesson. Like you, yeah. you, you can't do this again. How can I help you learn, learn a lesson? And that's kind of where it stops for him. Where I, I do think the rabbi is a little more connected with what quote teaching a lesson really, really means. Totally. And it makes sense because like this, this person is sort of like, uh, a, like a religious scholar more right, or less. Right. And so he has sort of like a holistic view of the situation where his, the dad sort of has more of just like a, uh, not law and order perspective, but like kind of where it's more of like very basic, very justice. basic. Yeah. yeah. Just, um, yeah. Very basic, like a base level of justice. And I think that, I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Um, okay. So, uh, I want to talk about, um, I want to get into kind of Mr. Green's relationship with Harold at some point, but let's just talk about Mr. Green for a minute. <laughs> um, we both have talked about how he, his character is like off mic about how, I mean, his character is very funny. Obviously he's this like crotchety, you know, probably late forties, early fifties guy has been like pulverizing meat for, you know, probably since he was a little boy. And, um, He's like a dying breed. Well, what's interesting is it's come back around, which is the like really hands-on um, small business owner of the city. That's like popular again. But when I was watching this show, I had no idea that that was a thing. That really introduced me to what like small town life, I'm sorry, small business life is in the big city. And now it's kind of a thing again with like the hipster DIY like movement, craft right? culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um I don't know what uh, what do you think about Mr. Well, there, Green? There's there's this particular scene where he says like, "Well, do you need any help?" And then Mr. Green's response is like, "No, like I'm great. I'm laying in a hammock here, like on this beautiful sunny day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I need help." Like he has that sort of attitude. And maybe this maybe it's because we're like soft West Coasters, yeah. And so like everyone's so like just trying to be so nice to one another that we would just never say anything like that. Maybe it's more of like an East Coast thing, but. There's something about that sort of attitude. Just, there's something about it. I feel like that it, it's just not a way like a normal vernacular. It's, it's so not a brash. part of our vernacular. It's so, but it's almost like a brash poetic. Oh yeah, like, totally. Like yes. there's like a there's like a a cynicism, but also like a just a like a general humor to it and a genuine humor. Well, it's like the original kind of um, everyman poeticism. Totally, like he understands the difficulty of life. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, like even when uh, Harold's like, "What are you doing to that meat?" and he just says, "I'm tenderizing it." Yeah, and it's like the actor does such a perfect way of like, I, I, the thing about Mr. Green is, even though he's like a crotchety asshole, he very clearly takes pride in what he does, and he like that is weaved in and out of the story, kind of, kind of, um, butted up against cynicism in a way that's really beautiful. Kind of what you're saying, it's like a poetic. He has this poetic love for what he does while also not being very good at customer service. Just being brash. Yeah, yeah. very brash. Um, and I and I do think, and I think there's more to dive into here, but I think that's why Harold does eventually kind of give in to this way of life um, because he's maybe never, you know, his dad is this like, like very quiet businessman kind of guy. Um, and, and he meets this like brash butcher um, yeah, it's like a father figure that he's longing for, I think. Well, and I think kind of like uh, Harold could sort of fall into this as well. Like 
And I think it is also confusing for everybody involved with him in this episode about how like he's actually taking to the butcher like like <laughs> lifestyle job that he yeah. he's he's stumbled into is that he is so he's he's not eloquent at all no. in his speech no. and he's so basic in the way that he talks so he said like I like being here and I like being around meat like yes. just it's that so statement yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like yeah. such a simple sort of stupid statement but there's something to it that it's like and this is sort of how Mr. Green is where there's like a simplicity in his work that he's doing by nature but the way that he speaks about it like even when you said like I'm tenderizing it yeah like the yeah, way yeah. that he does that shows like there's something beyond just him a man with yes. a mallet yes. pounding on meat and that's true also with Harold in that there's something like almost mystical or spiritual about the yes, way absolutely. that he feels in the space yes. around the meat and in the butcher shop and stuff. But his only way of articulating it is with not three eloquent. word sentences. Yes. Yes. Like, I like this and I like. Meat. And what, so what he says, and I, um, I think this is some on the nose symbolic storytelling, but I'm very much OK with it, which is. Um, Harold says probably 10 times this episode up until the point when he starts actually working at the, at the butcher shop, he says as his excuse for why he stole the ham, it's usually something like, I don't know, followed by I was hungry. And so the basic level of this is that there's a humor that like Harold is like kind of tubby and he loves to eat. And so of course and he may have Prouder Willie, which is the syndrome where you would literally have to eat all the time which is basically him i mean he literally if you don't he, eat it's like causes your body physical you don't feel good and you feel ooh. angry and i mean i think he might actually, he might have, actually have that yeah. yeah so he says it like 10 times and so like on face value it's funny but i think the symbolism of him longing for something more than his dumb existence um i think the phrase i am hungry uh he's fed he's fed by working here and uh, by by working under the um apprentice of some older figure uh who also loves what he does and uh and i think him saying i love being around meat now again this is like very on the nose symbolism but i like thinking i like meditating on this idea which is uh there's a scripture about uh you don't need like i thought you needed meat but you actually i thought you needed solid food and meat but really what you need is just milk which is a way of saying like you're so immature, you're, like, not ready for the real thing. And I, I, uh, you know, the the way that you talk about the meatiness of life, like, oh, man, that was, like, really meaty. Like, I don't know how else you would say it in other contexts. Like, the, the meat of the issue. You know, you say meat is used as a way to describe something that... Like something hearty. Hearty. Something like life-giving. Fully fulfilling. living. Yes. Yeah. And so it's a simple, a simple symbol. But him saying, I love being here around meat could also perhaps be him saying i just love being around something that gives me life and is fulfilling and is not simple and meaningless but like this real thing and it happens to be meat which you know kind of drives the symbol home but i i think it's like a great um parable for uh, uh seeking like true fulfillment and true life totally yeah and i think so there's i think a few different ways you could go with this but i think the, like it's like the the labor is not alienated in the, in in the sense that like it is a thing where you get to start something in one form and you get to shape it and put your mark on it basically right, right. so you're literally like taking a, a carcass and then you're cutting it apart and then you're creating a thing uh, with your 
like labor with your sort of intellect with your understanding and then you're passing that thing off to the person who's purchasing it and the exchange is like ideally is like sort of personal and like you were saying the idea of like craft culture and like um single person workshops or small workshops and stuff like that and being able to interact with the person that's buying the good as the maker of the good blah 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 and i think there's a thing that happens later at the very end where it's sort of there's like it's like the brick is thrown through the window and the, you sort of realize that it's not always that it's way. It's chaos. It's yeah. chaos. And when she calls, the lady calls him Mr. Blue instead of Mr. Green. Yeah. And they realize like, although you can romanticize that sort of environment, like it's not always that way, but it also but to still find the beauty in yeah. it. But, but really quick, what I, I'll just, what I was going to say was the, but I think there, so the, the idea of like being to see something through to its end right. and being able to pass that thing off in sort of commercial work, work setting, I think is really fulfilling. And there's something about like this person who is lost, right? right? Finding this thing that brings him fulfillment and is engaging in all these different ways. It's intellectually rigorous or for him. And it's also physically stimulating and everything. And if the, the the interesting thing to be able to what his dad says about him not wanting to fall into a life of crime mm. is that I think it actually shows you that like when you were thinking of how do you build like a just equitable society if that's a thing you're concerned with doing right that like no. the, I, nah. <laughs> the I mean all the people in this room I think are sure. concerned with yes, that yes, yes, yes. Uh, the two of us and and <laughs> is that I think like when you, so when you're trying to build an equitable and just society, like it's it's easy to like be a person that thinks about that and go like, well, you need to have something that's like really intellectually rigorous, and you need to feel like very uh, fulfilled, uh-huh. and it, you end up creating sort of complicated structures. But what you realize is like not everybody's like that, right? right. Like not everybody can be in the quote unquote like intellectual, do intellectual work, creative class, that type of work. Like there's some people that are like seem simple, like simple people, right? Right. But they still have that same hunger and desire that like yes, everybody yes. else does and it may be fulfilled in a different way and it's important to sort of create a dynamic society where all levels of work mm, for all levels honored, of people yeah. are honored and are sort of not alienated and not monotonous and that yeah without doing that you legitimately like his dad says can end up creating a criminal, criminal class, basically. class yes, yeah yes, of people yes. that for whatever reason, be it environmental or how they're born or whatever, wh- whichever way you think that sort of equation works, like end up not being able to pursue certain types of work at a certain qu- like level. Um, you still need to have like like sust- like um, sustenance in work and in labor right, right. for those people too, like the heralds of the world. Mm-hmm. And you still need to love them and they still need to be like shown yeah. attention. And and there needs to be intentionality behind it. And on top of that, if somebody did do bad things and mm. was a criminal, like when they enter back into society, you need to like give them the benefit of the doubt. Because right, while right. he was a foolish person before that wasn't serious, like he may inter- interact with the meat and the yeah. butcher shop and then end up becoming a serious person. And you need to allow that room for growth. Oh, that's so sort interesting. Of. Like I, I have like so many thoughts. Based on, like, Sorry, that, that was like 10. No, 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 no. It was really good. Like, I, I like have a bunch of directions we could go. Uh, one is that just gut is, um, you know, back to the symbol of meat as fulfillment. Um, it's like Harold was willing to do anything to, to be satisfied. Anything. Yes, yeah. He was willing to walk in and steal a ham to feel satisfaction. Um, and when he was confronted with it, it's like he realized that, oh, this was the wrong way to do it. You like very instantly break, like crumbles. There's no, like he's not a cold-blooded killer. He's He crumbles right away and, you know, willingly participates in this 
apprentice program. But yeah, I like the I like the the creation of the criminal class or or whatever you want to call it isn't lacking in meaning. Like people who are criminals many times are also looking for meaning. And that's why like uh gangs are still a thing is because people look for connection anywhere. And you know, part of society is to provide um a place like a butcher shop where you can find meaning without uh you know like without harming or ostracizing the other um totally well and like the the the, what is also interesting about the butcher shop as a place in this episode but also like if you're to like sort of scale up the idea of the butcher shop um and sort of make it beyond go beyond the butcher shop is that you really can be a person with low education Right, that enters right. a thing and just through time spent and good mentorship can actually end up being good at something yeah. and having a prominent role. And that, that sort of low barrier to entry is like, and having places that are like that is really important. Yeah. Mr. Green's kind of every man wisdom is yeah. clearly not like a traditional education. Cause he, he says like doity, you know, yeah, he's yeah. He like, he's very um uh, like of this world quote. Yeah. Uh, Salt but, of the earth. Yeah. So that's right. Uh, he's he's definitely a, a Joe the plumber, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Joe the butcher. Oh, uh, Joe the plumber. Um. Anyway, uh, I think. Oh dang it! I just lost it. Uh, uh. Oh, this show. Um. What I really appreciate about it, uh, among many things, is that it lifts up the 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 worker, the laborer, in a way that um. Uh. Like I don't think like purposefully lifts up the laborer as, as a uh, position, like you're mentioning a position in society that is intimate and accepted in the community. So I, uh, to kind of connect with that, like, yeah, he's a jerk when he's giving out meat on the meat sale, but there's an intimacy to how he knows the community. Hey Arnold, here's the stuff your grandma will want. Um, The way he's connected with these people, though brash is still intimate. And I, I think that, um, the way that the show presents, you know, Ernie who works in construction and in a future episode, you see that Mr. Wynn is a, he works at a um, Mexican restaurant and uh, you have all these kind of, and the way they pre- present teachers, the way that they present the worker. That it's like a working class. It's a working yeah. class community and it's not their, their dumbness in one hand doesn't take away from their intimacy or vulnerability or their um, wisdom in another way. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Uh, yeah, that is a really nice thing about this show. Um, yeah. I yeah. Know. I, I, uh, and you might have a better idea about why this is the case, but, um, uh, you know, there's, there's this like lifting up of ivory tower kind of education, which, you know, you and I both went to liberal arts school and got a, got a, bachelor's degree and um i'm happy with that and i like it for reasons beyond just the educate the the book education um i appreciate the life education i got from it and i think what harold is getting in this butcher shop apprenticeship he's getting a life education it's not just an education in um you know tenderizing meat uh it's also about responsibility and about hard work uh about community um and I think it's a shame that uh, the way like blue collar uh, education um, 
has such a different, uh, like gen, uh, I don't know what kind of education you'd call it, like life education than, than, and I don't want to even put it as different in a, I, I don't, I don't know. Cause I'm not an electrician or a plumber or a butcher, but like, at least when it comes to clout, it's not lifted up the same way. But I think if it was in our society, at least, and I think if it was, there would be more people experiencing what Harold's experiencing in this butcher shop, which is like a real human connection. Um, but again, I don't know, you know, I, I haven't gone to trade school, so I don't know what that experience is like. Well, and I think, I think it also has to do with our environment. So like, I think if, if, if we didn't live in a place like Orange County, which Orange County is an extremely segregated, like, right. Orange County and LA County, although they are very diverse places are actually socioeconomically really segregated. Right. And so, um, when you are like when you're in an environment that's very like racially diverse, there is oftentimes like some class differences, but the class differences are usually very small. Mm. Whereas I think in Orange County, like um, no matter who you are, if you're like in certain environments, most likely you sort of fall in a certain socioeconomic place right, or right. economic place. Um, and I think so. There's sort of um, a lack lacking of interaction of people that like grow up in environments where blue collar work is just a thing that you do or there's like a, a lineage and a heritage to it mm-hmm. where it is sort of like thought of in a really positive way so like when um my grandfather lives in the middle of nowhere in maine and is a like a he made spinning wheels and boats and did all that for a living and worked on repairing boats and stuff um and and, and was a machinist and all these other th- sorts of things but he's like also um like just like a natural intellectual like he speaks multiple languages he's extraordinarily well read and you would never think driving through his middle of nowhere part of maine right that there would be this like guy like him right in this like sort of beaten down you right, know right. 1850s old like uh house that's like falling apart you know that that this person would like be this uh, like ha- be such a robust type of person yeah. and i think there are and i think as we get older things will change like people that are highly educated or in academia or certain things maybe get burned out and then go into sort of more craft oriented trade yeah and things. we're seeing that a little bit we now see it yeah. a bit now yeah um but i think so i think i mean there's just like a handful of situations that i've had and i've had very limited interaction with like sort of uh blue collar work type folks i mean besides us working in service industry for for years a and years decade and years. Yeah. but um it's a little bit different but yeah, I think there is sort of this idea of like the everyman intellectual, and um, I think that it's just not a thing that our like generation interacts with right, much. Right, right. And so I think there is like a really sharp divide between the people who do manual labor and the people who do sort of like intellectual labor or knowledge labor or whatever you right, want, right, right. creative labor, however you want to classify it. And because of that, there's like, there's very little overlap. And I think this is a thing people talk about all the time now, like the idea of like tribalism and like people breaking off into groups and not interacting with the other side or whatever the quote unquote other is. Um, but I think, uh, and I think even it's, it's sort of interesting the way that uh, you were talking about like the hipsterization sort of of um, labor right, or certain right. types of blue collar work. But even that is so different than the way that it used to be where 
the, the way that it used to be like when there was high levels of unionization and there was more factory type settings, mm-hmm. you will have people that are like very good machinists or very good at a certain craft, right? And they're working in this larger ins- organization and institution that creates a sort of solidarity within them and you're, mm-hmm. and, and per- perpetuates a sort of like its own style of diversity of you have all these different people from walks of life that are like sort of in this working space together, like laboring together, creating bonds together. And they're they have some sort of quote like maybe minimal say in their work environment, yeah. right? Through like for through a union. But nowadays, even the hipsterization of sort of labor work is the lone person, kind of like Mr. Green, uh, yeah. sequestered off from everybody else in a sort of workspace with only a few people, like laboring over the thing and then posting it online and sort of this like entrepreneurial side yeah. and media yeah. oriented side behind craft work. And I think that um, that is even more different and will create different types of people creates different types of societal bonds creates different types of lacking of Mm -hmm. solidarity so i think it's like it's what we go through now like is 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 different than it used to be but i think it's almost like in a weird way kind of like the environment that mr green is in yeah i i yeah but it's I wonder if in okay, like let's say he started that business in like 1975. Like, yeah. let's let's build out this world. Yeah, I assume it would be more affordable in 1975 to start a butcher shop from scratch versus, or like after having been an apprentice and then saying, okay, I'm going to open up my own shop now. Versus now saying I'm going to open up that cool of a like a classic um, city butcher shop. You see that in like. Uh, Silver Lake or like downtown Anaheim places yeah. that are like uh, we're gonna be a cheese shop yeah. or we're gonna and, and shut down in Anaheim <laughs> oh is it really <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like that uh, but I know what you're saying like you go to like a carniceria in like uh, you know La Mirada or Whittier which there are plenty of those that's a different kind of um, like a, basically like a Mexican-American kind of butchery is like very much practical and still cultural like has a huge culture yeah. surrounding it but it's not the same hipster thing that you're getting in like silver lake or, yeah yeah um and you know like i'm talking about specific like downtown areas that are like yeah, yeah. built up to look look um well it's almost like that it's almost like making a thing exotic or yes, fetishizing yes. it. and so when someone when a like a, te- a former tech guy who like sold you know sold his his I'm trying to think. There's an example I'm thinking of recently, but like there are a lot of coffee shops in LA that are highly um, uh, craft oriented um, that were started by tech people um, who got burned out. And, and it's cool. Like they make the best coffee in LA for sure. So they do a great job, but you know that they have a different kind of money than the second wave coffee shops that have been there since the early nineties, early eighties. So I don't know. Like I, I think the benefit of, the hipsterization of um, craft is that it brings that experience back to the masses in a way that grocery stores and big, big box stores kind of shut out. Um, it's cool to see that come back, but I think the negative is it, it romanticizes it and fetishizes it in a way that is only reasonable if you're like upper middle class or, or higher or like, cause the other thing too is the price of that meat is way more than probably it was according you know according to inflation back well, then, and i right? think like yeah and i think like so for instance nowadays and i don't know how this was before um but if you're interested in baking in most places um like if you're interested in say you wanted to make bagels or you wanted to make whatever it is you wanted to make um 
like a lot of those jobs are mostly just at grocery stores. Yeah. Yeah. And so like the idea of having like a small bagel shop or having like um, sort of a small bakery and those types of things, which I mean, grocery stores have always existed, but the idea of like small businesses and not sort mm-hmm. of um, multinationals yeah. and corporate major corporate, large corporations and stuff like that. Like, I think that just kind of says something about what you're saying is like, there are certain things where like a, um, like a, like a, I don't know, like almost like a kitschiness to it like helps perpetuate it. But there's yeah, still yeah. other situations where if you're not operating in like LA, New York, maybe Philly, Chicago or whatever, and you want to do like a baker, there's not a bunch of cool like peers of yours that are yeah. like doing this thing together. It's literally like, I can only do this at the grocery store right, is right. where I can learn how to do this or figure this whole thing out. Um, but I think uh, like, I mean this now it's sort of away from the, the show a little bit, but I think the difference is, yeah, sorry about the tangent. No, no, no. no. I mean, it's what we do, but I think the sort of difference between that experience and what uh, the past experience with labor and what you're talking about now is it's sort of like um, it's, it's yeah. It's like, I think there's the sequestering off and sort of all of these operations being small and boutique, boutique, boutique yeah, instead of like some things being smaller and then having larger iterations of them as well. Um, but I think also that will just change. Like I think yeah. the, 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 the older corporations of cough in coffee, like Stemtown is a good example of this is like those, those, the older sort of coffee tastes will fade away as older people pass yep. on. And then the younger sort of like larger ones will supplant those and be sort of like the new large companies. Stumptown intelligentsia. Blue yeah. Bottle, yeah. Yeah. And they're already doing that. Yep. And, yep. and like in blue bottles, interesting. You're talking about tech and coffee. Like, I think that they got a lot of money funneled in from, T- from like some investors in Silicon Valley. And now they are bought by Nestle. So it's a complicated, yeah, yeah. complicated yeah. Uh, life. It is. But I think, but so I, I think the, to, to lead it back into this a little bit, I think the benefit of sort of what you're talking about, like the hipsterization of craft culture and those sorts of things or popularization, mainstreaming of craft culture and all that sort of stuff is the fact that it like it is more socially acceptable now than maybe it was like in the 90s right to like be like no i really love coffee like i want to go and pursue and work in the coffee industry right right and that could start off in a shop and then you can end up in a company doing other stuff and those right. sorts of things and i think that's becoming more socially acceptable whereas like yeah like in the 90s we're doing that was like this sort of really like fringe activity mm. and it was like related to slacker culture mm-hmm. and it wasn't taken seriously in all of those yeah sorts of that's right that's right so i think there is a benefit to sort of the mainstreaming of all this stuff because yeah. then you can have more Gerald's where people and we, I know people like Herald's, this and you but, know Harold yeah you know people like this too where like they work in coffee shops for 10 years and then they like end up staying in that industry yep. and it's like fine and it's yeah. great and they maybe go open a shop or they work for a bigger company or something like that and it's yeah it's like a great thing to do and it's not considered less than no, or criminal right. or anything yeah. like that um, let's get back to uh, I, I wanted to bring in another clip um, and we got on a tangent about uh, uh, labor and the market. Um, but uh, I think we could dive in really quick to the closing scene with, which is kind of a second, um, maybe not the thesis, but it, but definitely the heart of the episode, uh, which is the connection that Mr. Green finally opens up to uh, to Harold. So let's, let's listen to that um, final scene. You really surprised me today, Harold. You came through and did a great job. Thanks, Mr. Green. I just love being here and being around meat. You know, Harold, when you first started helping out here, I really thought it was a bad idea. But after today, I realized that you remind me of someone. Really? Who? A young me. Wow. 
thanks, Mr. Green. Now remember, I told you it was just for one day. Yeah, right. Well, thanks for letting me help today. I better be going then. Hey. Huh? What are you doing Mondays after school? You... you mean... That's right. You're my new apprentice butcher. Really? See you Monday, kid. So Mr. Green kind of says two things. First, he says, you surprised me because I did not like the idea of you working for me. But dot, dot, dot. You actually remind me of me and you did a really good job. And comparing those two, you know, that's basically the two parts of this episode is Harold's a failure. He's he, he's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and then the second part being not only uh, is Harold making uh, Harold Harold is showing interest. Someone actually sees him and calls that out. Um, and I think this scene is like beautiful and really sweet, and obviously romanticizes like the apprentice the apprenticeship ideals. But it's such a good ending to um, an episode where you're seeing I don't know Harold coming to his own. I guess. Yeah, I I, lo- I love it. It's a great moment. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, and I think that is like a, it's like a really nice payoff, and I think that um, you were talking about um, a little bit ago that in that scene during the the uh, the meat sale where Mister Green's like not always friendly, and he's like kind of just like perturbed and frustrated, very brash, as he, he brash, and he's communicating with the the people, and I think that part of that may be because you see that sort of turn and change, kind of make a one eighty when he joins him and starts helping him and yeah. he like accepts the help. And then you see the thing sort of flowing and because he has sort of the, like someone that kind of has his back and it's mm-hmm. sort of filling in the gaps. Yes. Like um, that the tone changes in the shop too. And although the sh- it ends in that scene is sort of like the shop is messy and the meat's all gone and everything. Satisfied They seem though. so satisfied. Yes. Yes. And the flow of the work is better and everything and the demeanor is better. And I think it kind of shows that he appreciates the help but then probably also likes the company yeah yeah and so um the sort of isolation of constantly working by yourself like perpetuates that gruffness because like mm-hmm. it doesn't there's no consequences yes. Yes. to it you know if you can make money and, and sell and stuff and what this episode allows to happen is it allows the viewer and mr green to be really annoyed of harold because he really is one of the most obnoxious characters on the show, like his voice is piercing and that's the point. Like he's supposed to be obnoxious and I don't blame Mr. Green for rolling his eyes every time Harold makes a mistake. Cause he is an idiot. He is like, he's all gut. I mean that like philosophically, like he does, he does what feels right. He doesn't have kind of the organization that you need, but I mean, Mr. Green's kind of an asshole too. And when he says, I see you in me, it's not just like, your interest in meat. It's also you're kind of misunderstood and you're kind of an asshole too. And yeah, it's, it's, it's allowing both him and, okay. So I think, I think by the end, both the viewer and Mr. Green are all in on Harold. Whereas at the beginning, like you're still like, Oh, this guy's and, and Harold's annoying for the rest of the show, you know, the rest of the series, but a kind of respite from his annoyance and just to see what he, to see what he's really yearning for, which is connection, fulfillment, meat. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, totally. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think there's something kind of nice too about, and you're talking about, we've talked about sort of the idea of community a lot in this episode, and I think something about the community accepting and liking Mr. Green despite his yes, sort of gruffness, yes. and uh, like it, there being a space for people that are like that. Yeah, yeah, this episode um, also, uh, well, okay, I, I want to, I think the cry of the week is going to bring uh, more conversation, and so. Uh, I, I think we can close with that, but is there any other, any other like elements of the episode that you want to talk about otherwise, like more, um, more about labor or education or no, crime? I think yeah. that's good. We've, yeah. we've fixed it all. Yeah. I just think my favorite line, we've said it already, but it's just my favorite line is I just love being here and being around meat. It's, it's so good. There's and so many good lines in this episode. He smiles so big <coughs> when he says it. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I think this episode has many great cry of the week moments mm-hmm. and I think we could kind of walk through uh, and, and maybe a more generic term to use term to use is it's a, it is a, Oh man, it's not sympathetic. It's like sincere and, um, and it's like tear jerking, not just like, Oh, what a great moment. It, they like over and over and over again, show you the heart and life of Harold um, in in a they really pack it in, and uh, I mean we can maybe name our top, but then go through for a couple of the others. Um, uh, for me, I watched it maybe like three months ago because I was trying to think about how we were gonna do the next season. So I just happened to watch this episode, and legitimately when he, when Mister Green offers um the apprenticeship, and Harold's like, "Really, you mean it?" And then he walks out and does like a jump in the air and says, "All right." the way the jazz music was playing and kind of the meaning of the episode combined with the actor, like exuding true joy. Um, and, and the way that we've kind of grown to love Harold, even just over this episode, um, I actually choked up. Like it wasn't just a kind of a nostalgic, like, Oh man, that was really touching. No, I really got like a lump in my throat, tears in my eyes because it was such a well constructed, um, maybe manipulative moment. I don't know, but um, I'm gonna say full cry on that. Uh, w- like not, not, I'm n- no embarrassment about it. I think it's one of the best cry moments um, in many, many episodes. Uh, was that, and that wasn't even the only one. I think there were many more. I don't know if there were any other moments that kind of got you thinking. Um, I like that one a lot. That it's one, so I think good. It's, it's it's really good. I think also. I mean, I think there's a lot of, like, little things throughout it, but I think that when the idea of, like, him, like, having this sort of genuine response to the butcher shop. Yes, yes. And, and then constantly not being taken seriously. Yeah. Like, that just as a thing that kind of runs through the episode, I think is really, really sad. And I think that, to me, as, like, an idea. Yeah. Is, is, is I think, like, a lot of people's fear of, like, really genuinely caring about something and then, like not having it reciprocated or not being yeah, understood. I would agree. The part that it, uh, right after he steals the turkey and goes back um, and basically is like, or no, uh, Mr. Green comes out to him. He has the turkey and Harold's like, please let me work for you. And um, Mr. Green says like, no, never. I don't want you. And you see tears in Harold's eyes and it is so killer. It's yeah. such a good moment. And it's not, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And I think, I mean, the, the when he like re steals the ham, we already talked about it a bit, but when he re steals the ham in order to like 
the the turkey the, the turkey yeah, yeah. yeah the turkey to go back and be like oh i did the wrong thing no i have to help you again like there's something about like the idea of doing the wrong thing because you feel like you have no other option yeah yeah and, and to be seen like seen yes like Ugh. yeah totally and that it's worth doing the wrong thing in order to be seen or to be understood or to be taken back yeah. to a thing that you care about i think it's just really sad in itself yeah um and then, uh, I, just to keep going, um, both his dream that he has and also the way he, like, interacts at the butcher shop the next morning are so um, beautiful. And to see this, like, bully, dumb, uh, you know, gut kind of guy who never has shown interest in anything in his life having a book on his chest that says, so you want to be a butcher as he's sleeping, dreaming about being a butcher and the way the music and the choreography of that scene, he's like passing out meat, like, like it's a ballet and it, he's so happy and he's like winking at people. Um, and, and the music is romantic. Uh, and then the next morning he like practices that he folds a, folds a newspaper into a hat and he carries fish guts around and he, um, sweeps up, and it's all surrounded by this beautiful romantic music. It's like that part, that part isn't a full cry, but it's very um, lovely to see an asshole like fall in love with a, with a job. Well, I think that's sort of, I, I think some people or a lot of people, especially people that I know, like that's like an ideal form of work and labor. Yes. It's like having this sort of connection to it and like having it have some sort of meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's sort of like a thing that people seem to like want nowadays. Yeah, and yeah. maybe that was always the case, but I don't know. I, it seems especially true nowadays. I think like the idea of seek. It's like I think often seen as like a millennial thing, but like seeking value and meaning in your work. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I think at least those four parts are like very, very tear jerking, and mix that in with uh, Mr. Green saying, "I'm tenderizing it." Um, <laughs> it like. Uh, it's just a very sentimental episode that isn't um, uh, isn't cheesy or like it's not that manipulative. I think it feels really it feels real to me. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. This is a good episode. It's good. It's uh, one of the one of the best uh, in that it it's funny and it has sentiment and it has apparently a really pro worker. What would you yeah. call that? Like a I don't know. I think it it's like a pro. I don't know. It's like a really, it's the way humane way of viewing like people and work and sort of the way that work is important to people's lives, but like not in a way of like, um, I'm like you know like Mr. Wall Street. I just want to make a lot of money type. Like work is important, well, but like it feels like. I mean, this is the reason why I still think capitalism has a lot of great problems to it. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> we, I, we all know the problems, but this is, this is really holding the small business owner to its highest peak, which is intimate communal, mm-hmm. um, working with your hands, uh, self-sufficient, like all that stuff is mixed into this episode too. Yeah. Um, but it's less about the money and it's more about, the work and community that's been created. It's a more socialistic view of exactly. work. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 That's right. Um, oh, no yeah. go. Oh, I was just going to, are we doing the song? Yeah. The, yeah. What's the song? What's the song? So I thought, I mean, we didn't mess up, but I just realized now if you've still followed us to the very end and you want like a really beautifully thematic song, 
there's a song by this guy, Cass McCombs, that I really like. It's called The Executioner's Song. Oh, nice. And it's literally the entire song is about an executioner, but you don't really know that that's what it is, mm. singing about how he loves his work. Oh, that's And it's awesome. fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I should have thought of it before, but instead we have another one of my favorites, this guy. Chris Cohen, the song is called Edit Out. It's like a, a nice little... A nice, some little flute, little jazz yes, vibe to yes. it. It's very easy listening. No, it's great. It, it's, it, it, t- tonally, it suits, but like the the lyrics of the other song are exactly what this episode is about. All right, about. so check out Cass McCombs yes. and uh, Chris Cohen. Chris Cohen. This is a new single called Edit Out. Edit Out. Um, well, enjoy the music. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, Donate to the Patreon so we can buy coffee so we have more energy. That's right, baby. Uh, email us at hey.haroldhay@gmail.com. Um Gosh, guys, please just rate and review. I know you guys are like, well, I don't want, it's too much work to open up one app on my phone. Yeah, you guys are always saying that to us. You always are saying that to us. So just do it, just do it, just rate and review. Um, Let's talk more walk, guys. That's that's right, baby. Uh, Well, thank you for, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, Go, you know what? We should have. Sorry about all the meat talked for you vegans out there. <laughs> oh yeah, this we'll, yeah. we'll put a trigger warning at the beginning of the episode. So <laughs> I love the idea of that of a trigger warning. Just yeah, yeah, someone getting so frustrated. There's nothing glorified about working with <laughs> dead carcasses. Well, fuck you. No, I'm just kidding. I well, used to be vegan. Oh, that's right, okay. I used to be. Yeah, used to be because then you saw the error of your ways. I did. No, yeah, veganism is dope. Actually, honestly, I wish that I had the willpower to do it. Maybe not veganism, but at least vegetarianism. I wish I had the willpower. No, if you're vegan and you listen to this, keep doing your thing. That's not seriously. Cool. But I mean, if you're vegan and you don't, you don't pay into the Patreon, then it doesn't really matter. But if you're vegan and you donate to our Patreon, ooh, forget about that's it. The best thing to do. That's right. All right. Well, uh, enjoy the song. Bye. Thank you. Estimated what they'd ended up Maybe nothing now